So welcome this morning. It's great to see you all here. And uh, it's great to be together again, isn't it? I really missed last week. I missed being here. I was supposed to preach last week and I was all pumped and then it didn't happen. Anyway, so today is the day. So I've been, I've been stewing on this message for a couple of weeks now. So we'll see what happens. So um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt and I'm the Director of Worship Ministries here at Cornerstone. I'm an elder and, and I get to bring you part three of our Big Faith series. So let's just uh, commit this message to prayer before we start. Lord Jesus, I just, yeah, I just thank you that you are here with us this morning, God. I thank you your word says that, that where we gather two or three or more in your name, that you are here and I know that you are here this morning. And uh, God, I just thank you that you have kept us safe during what has been the past week. God, I thank you that our, our new church building over the road there is, is, is well. God, I, um, yeah, I just thank you for your word and the opportunity that we have to read and to learn and to, to gain further insight of who you are and who we are in you. God, I just pray this morning that as we study that you would ignite in us a fire that cannot be put out, God. I pray that you would give us a desire to know more about you this morning and moving forward from this point. God, I pray that we would be in a place of, of constantly seeking you, of being in a place of surrender of all things to you. God, I pray that you would speak through me this morning, that, that the words that come out of my mouth are not my words, but your words, God. And I just pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to, to understand what it is that you want to say to us this morning, God. Amen. So, as I mentioned already, we're, we're on our series of Big Faith, and we're up to part three this week. Um, it's been a few weeks since we've been together, so let me just summarise where we're at, um, and uh, then we'll move forward. So, we began with um, David from Compassion, and uh, he challenged us with, with what our faith in God should look like, that we should, should be knowing our place, um, that we shouldn't be feeling entitled, despite the fact that we are children of God, because we've been saved by God, we need to make sure we're not in this place of feeling that God owes us stuff, that we're entitled to stuff. And then that led on to the fact that, that God is under no obligation to us, that we are just part of his family and that we are called to serve. And then he also talked about childlike faith, having childlike faith and, and challenging us not to be childish. I really like that. That, that challenge of the difference between what it is to have a childlike faith and actually being childish. And then a few weeks ago now, uh, Pastor Neil spoke about how we all have a job to do, that we've all given, been given this assignment or a task to do and that, that every generation has a, has a task that is God-given and, and we've been called to act in faith in that and to carry out that task. And the purpose of all of it is to, is to grow the church to extend the church and at the same time to glorify God and not glorify ourselves. And all of these things that we've been talking about can, can only really happen if they're done in faith. And again, the other week, Neil talked about the story of the Israelites in the desert and how a whole generation of, of Israelites missed out on entering into the promised land because most of the spies, not all of them, there was Joshua and Caleb who came back and said, yes, we can do this, but most of the spies came back from being in the promised land and said, there's giants and there's fortified cities and it's all just too hard. And the more they dwelt on the scary and the challenging things that they had seen, 
the more difficult the task of taking the promised land became. And, and despite the fact that God had actually promised it, he said, I'm going to lead you into the promised land. And their attitude and their belief was impacted. And because their focus changed from being a focus on God and, a focus, and to a focus on the scary and the challenging, it resulted in an entire generation missing out. And so this morning we're going to continue to look at big faith and look at the way that that attitude and our belief can limit the way that God can work. And so the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is attitude. And so as, as we've already talked about, Neil talked um, two weeks ago now about the story of the Israelite spies. The impact of their attitude and their belief in God resulted, as I've already said, in an entire generation missing out. Imagine for a moment their attitude was different. Imagine if they actually, those spies remembered the promises that God had made and rather than having that attitude of this is challenging and this is scary, they came back with that same attitude as Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were ready to go into the promised land. They're saying, yes, let's do this. If all the spies came back with that attitude, what would the story have been? It completely changes things. Moses and the entire older generation of Israel would have entered into the promised land. It would have been Moses and the battle of Jericho, not Joshua. The entire nation of Israel would not have walked around in the desert for 40 years. They would have been living in and enjoying the spoils of the promised land, of the victory that God had set out for them. But instead, they fed on manna. So I want to skip forward now to some time after the Israelites had captured the promised land, to a time when part of the Israelite nation, when Judah was being held captive by the Babylonians, and the remaining nation of Israel was still in the promised land, but both groups of Israelites were suffering. One part of the nation was in captivity and the other part of the nation was suffering under drought, and the promised land that was this place of milk and honey had become a wasteland. And the prophet at that time was, was Isaiah. And a prophet is, is someone chosen by God to speak to his people. And so in the reading that we're going to look at, he, he speaks to those that are in captivity. And we can read about it in Isaiah 43, starting from verse 14. And it says, This is what the Lord says, Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sakes I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships that they are so proud of. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator and King. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses, and I drew them beneath the waves, and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smouldering candlewick. Here the prophet Isaiah is reminding the people who God is. Reminding them that God is creator, that he is king. Reminding them of the way that God rescued their ancestors, the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and the miraculous way in which he did it. The way that he separated the waters of the Red Sea so that they could walk on dry land. Reminding them of the way that an entire Egyptian army was destroyed because God let those waters return on top of them. Then interestingly it goes on in verse 18 and it says, but forget all of that. 
It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun it. Don't you see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness and I'll create rivers in dry, the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me, the jackals and the owls too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I'll make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. How good is that? Notice in verse 18, no, but forget all that. Forget all the stuff that God did in Egypt. God, through Isaiah, had just reminded them of all of these amazing things that that God had done to rescue the Israelites from Egypt and then he tells them to forget about it. And I wonder why that is. Perhaps they were looking back at the good old days. They hadn't actually forgotten about it, but they were dwelling in it rather than looking forward and watching to see what God was doing right then and there. God says he's about to do something new and in fact that he was already doing it, but they couldn't see it. Maybe they were stuck in the past. And Isaiah is encouraging them not to lose heart. To be in that place of stop dwelling in the past, to to stop waiting for God to move in that way. I think he was saying, don't completely forget about it. Remember what's happened, but don't stay there. Look forward. Look at what God is doing and, and what he's going to do. Stop living in the past. I think they might have also been looking for God to work in the same ways that he did before. And how, how does that attitude impact us? You know, thing, things change, things are different. Nothing, nothing really ever stays the same. God does, but the way that he works doesn't. You know, we just need to look around us and think about the time that we have lived in, how different things are from when we were born regardless of how old we are in this room, there has been significant change. And so why do we, I guess, why do we get in this place where we're questioning what God is doing because it's not the same as what he's already done? Things change over time and so we should be in this place of expecting God to move in different ways. Not that we're expecting God to change because we know he doesn't change, but the way that he works can. And so we need to be in this place where we're allowing God to work. You know, big, big faith is that God wants to move and we need to be expecting it in whatever form that might take. God wants to move and he wants to work and that is always the case. But what, what we believe for and what we are looking for can limit what God is doing. And what do I mean by that? Our church building over the road there, what an amazing journey that has been. It's certainly a journey of big faith. And right from the very beginning, we gathered as a church on the block over there to pray for it. And you might have heard this story before, but we gathered together and we had little Ziploc bags of dirt that we all took home so we could be reminded to pray over that land. And if I'm completely honest in my immature and youthful years my attitude was of the leadership you guys must be crazy this is never going to happen now thankfully i had nothing to do with any of the initial part of it and so god was able to move (laughs) 
And then I became a part of it and there was this process of prayer and back and forward with government and mountains of paperwork. I was hoping Neil would actually bring it in. There's a stack of emails that he's printed out that has got to be over a ream of paper, of backwards and forwards and forms and process. And then Cornerstone was given the land. And my opinion of you guys are crazy changed to, wow, God is awesome, what's next? And then we went into this design process and at the very beginning we were building a widespan shed that was going to be fitted out on the inside and then it changed to a multi-storey complex made out of shipping containers with the church on the bottom floor and then the kids' church upstairs, which I'm not sure that would have worked real well, and then offices and then there was going to be a garden on the top and it was, it was all right. There were lots of different ideas until finally we have that amazing building that is sitting over there. Every step of the way has been soaked in prayer. Every step of the way, the leadership has been continually asking God to show what it is that he wants to do. Not for our glory, but for his. And what is sitting over there, over the road now, is nothing like what it could have been if we did it with our human thinking and in our own desire. It is so much better. If it had been up to us and our ability and our thinking that building over there would be very different. It would be very limited. And I wonder what my reaction would have been in the very early days, in those first days when we gathered on that block, if I saw a photo of that building that's sitting there now, I wonder if it would have been the same response. You know, our belief in God, or even our unbelief in God and his ability can limit what he can do. You know, it's just like that the attitude of unbelief the Israelite spies had. It limited God's plan, didn't it? It sent them out into the desert for 40 years. Do we want to be in the promised land? Or do you want to wander? No? Good. So, I guess the question I'm asking is, what limitations are we putting on God? What is our, what is our faith doing to what he can do? And perhaps... We might have a view of others around us that is limiting what God can do through them. Perhaps the view of ourselves is limiting what God can do through us. You know, have you, have you ever had that thought of God can't possibly be using me? I know I have. And having that attitude can limit what God can do. He can use you. He will use you. And he's going to use all of us. You know, as... As Neil spoke about a couple of weeks ago, God has a task, has an assignment for all of us and it's designed to grow and build the church. And so I'm just, I really want to challenge us not to let our, positive, uh, our possible negative human attitude get in the way. Now, a number of years ago, it's actually more than that if I think about it, um, at, my, at my previous church I had this awesome privilege of being able to go and attend Hillsong Conference in Sydney and I was filled with anticipation. I was looking forward to the amazing teaching and and I was particularly looking forward to worship because that's where my heart is and it was just this amazing experience. We're in Stadium Australia in Sydney and it was packed to the brim with people worshipping God. It was amazing. The worship was amazing. 
the teaching was amazing. It was amazing. Do you get it? And then I returned home. And my attitude went from excitement and anticipation to almost dread and ho-hum of being back to normal, back to familiarity. My attention was drawn to our lack, to the familiarity that was around me, the same old people, the same non-famous preacher. My attention was drawn to the fact that the preacher wasn't John, John, Brian Houston or any of the other amazing speakers that I heard over that conference. And that attitude that I had for a time had significant impact on me personally. But I also recognise now as I look back that it impacted on the worship team that I was responsible for leading. It affected my ability to listen on Sunday morning to the sermon. It limited and in fact stopped God from speaking into my life for a period of time. It limited my growth and God's desire to change me. It didn't limit God, sorry, it didn't change God's desire. It changed my desire to allow God to change me. Do you get that? My attention was being drawn away from God to all of the things that weren't Hillsong Conference. Now, did I say this wasn't this church? I just want to clarify, it wasn't this church. And so the next thing that we're going to look at this morning is familiarity. And I wonder if any of us ever come here to Cornerstone with that sort of attitude and that sense of the familiar, where we, we focus on the lack rather than looking for God, where we compare ourselves to others or, or rather than you know, recognising the amazing things that God can do through us and is doing through us. You know, familiarity distracts our attention away from God and what he's trying to do and it draws it to ourselves, it draws it to our lack. It focuses our attention on the negative and even the destructive rather than what God's doing. And perhaps you might come with an attitude of entitlement like Dave was talking about a couple of weeks ago where we're seeking something for ourselves rather than coming with an attitude of service, rather than coming with an attitude of what can I do to build up the church, what can I do to strengthen the church. Attitude and familiarity has impact. It limits what God can do in us. You know, as we listen to a message, as we worship, as we fellowship together, if our attitude is wrong, it will distract us away from God. Don't, don't limit God with attitude or familiarity. Now, I just want to take time out for a sec. We're going to put pause button on the message. Because while I was preparing this, God told me that I needed to say something, which is sort of incorporated, but it's a bit different. And I just wanted to stop and I wanted to say thank you to Pastor Neil. While I was preparing this message, God spoke to me so clearly and he told me to tell you, Neil, that you are Moses and you are Joshua wrapped into one.
you've led us through the wilderness and very soon, very soon, we're going to cross that road over there into the promised land and you are the one that God has appointed to lead us into that. And I know that you know that already but God has prompted me to remind us all of that fact. God has prompted me to warn us all that we need to be ready for battle. We need to be ready to work for God, not to be in a place of limiting him with our own understanding, our own thoughts, our own attitudes, our own ideas. You know, we prayed together as a church a few weeks ago when Shannon led us in prayer where we, where we prayed against the attacks and battles that are to come and in fact are already here. So I want to challenge us to be in that place of putting on the armour of God every single day, being battle ready. Every day we need to prepare and stand firm. Stand firm in God and the victory that he has for us, that he already has. Remember that God is victorious. Remain firm but not stationary. We need to continue to press on, to push into the things that God is leading us to, whatever that might be. We need to be praying protection over our pastors for Neil and Joe and their family, God. We need to be praying for protection over leadership and ministries, for our kids' church, for our connect groups, for our prayer teams, for our worship teams, for the new ministries that are still to come. We need to be praying for protection and the strengthening of our church body because God has the victory and he is working and he's going to continue to do so but we need to get out of the way so that we don't limit what he wants to do. So again, thank you, Neil, for your leadership. Okay, back to the message. So you see, our attitude and our familiarity can impact and limit what God can do. Now, like I was talking about with my attitude between Hillsong Conference and being back in my home church, attitude and familiarity impacted and limited what God could do in me and even restricted what was going on in the church. Didn't completely stop it, but it certainly slowed it down. There is danger in familiarity. You know, as we become used to things, as we see the same people or we do the same things or, you know, it might be that we have structure here. We need to have structure here. Our attitude with the whole, is it a three-song sandwich or whatever the, you know what I'm talking about. We need to be in a place where we're guarding ourselves against that familiar, guarding ourselves against bad attitude towards the church and towards the people in it. Because when we succumb to those things, it will limit what we can do. Again, it won't stop unless we all decide to jump on that wagon, which that's not going to happen, is it? So let's look at another passage now. I want to look at, at Mark 6. And, and this is the story of Jesus returning to Nazareth, to his hometown. And so 
First of all, I want to just set a bit of a scene here so you understand where we're at. So Jesus is in this place where he's begun his ministry. He's been baptised by John and he's gone out into the wilderness for 40 days. He's been ministering around the Sea of Galilee because there's lots of towns around its shores. He's been preaching and healing. He's casting out demons. He's rebuking the Pharisees. He's chosen his 12 disciples. He's preached many of the parables or stories that we might know. He's calmed a storm and he's raised a little girl from the dead, amongst other things. He's been busy. And I'm sure word has spread and he is well known. In fact, we know that he's well known because people are coming from all over the place to hear Jesus and to be healed. It talks about earlier in, in Mark how, how people are coming from, from towns that are 60 k's away. Now, that's a long way when you don't have a car. But that's what people were doing. They were coming to see Jesus. And so here we are, all of these things have taken place and Jesus decides that it is time to go to his hometown of Nazareth, which itself is about 20 or 30 kilometres away from the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So starting uh, from verse 1 in Mark 6. So Jesus left that part of the country, so that was the towns around the Sea of Galilee, and he returned his, with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all his wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? So let's stop there for a minute and let's look at that. Many who heard were amazed and they were asking, where does he get his wisdom and his power? They recognised the wisdom. They recognised the power that Jesus had and they were amazed. It says that, doesn't it? Is that what it says? But then we see the impact of both familiarity and bad attitude set in. Verse 3. And then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph and Judas and Simon. And his sisters live here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Despite all of the things that Jesus had been doing, and I'm sure they were aware of what was going on, news would have spread from the Sea of Galilee and made its way back to his hometown. Despite witnessing for themselves and even declaring in their amazement and wonder at his wisdom, they couldn't get past the fact that he was Mary and Joseph's son. That his brothers and his sisters lived there with them. Jesus' family was probably even in the synagogue at that very moment. And despite all of this, the wrong attitude and familiarity set in and they became offended. Perhaps they were asking questions like, why should Jesus get to do all of these things? It's not fair. Sounds a bit childish. Surely not. There's that childish attitude. Happens to all of us, hopefully. Back to the reading, verse 4. And then Jesus told them, a prophet is honoured everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And then let's pay special attention to the next two verses. What is the impact? Verse 5. And because of their unbelief, he, that is Jesus, couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. 
and he was amazed at their unbelief. Jesus, the Son of God, was unable to do any miracles because of their unbelief. Because they had allowed their attitude towards Jesus and their familiarity towards him limit what he was able to do. And their attitude and their familiarity impacted their faith. The earlier verses in this passage indicate that Jesus was performing miracles because it says they were amazed. The people of Nazareth themselves had actually witnessed what was going on and still they had bad attitudes because of familiarity. And the result of that is it limited what Jesus could do. I think it's also important to to note and, and look at the fact that it wasn't just in Jesus' hometown that this happened either. In the previous chapter, there's a story that shows that same limiting of God because of attitude and lack of faith. And so we're going to look at that one now too as well. So this is, this is in Luke 5 and it's verse 21 to 42. So I'm going to summarise this a bit because I don't want to read the whole thing. So the way this is said is that, is that Jesus is, is ministering and the local synagogue leader, Jairus, comes and finds Jesus because his daughter is sick. She's very sick and she's dying. And so he comes to find Jesus because he wants Jesus to come and heal her. And along the way, they're, they're walking along and these messengers arrive and say to him that she's died. And Jesus' response to him was do not be afraid, but have faith. And they kept going towards the house. And so they eventually arrive at the house, and this is where we're going to pick up in the reading from verse 37. And then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was laying. And holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, or something to that effect, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around and they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus had instructed the crowd to stay away. Maybe they ignored him and they continued to follow him or maybe there was another crowd that had gathered at the house who were mourning because Jesus instructs them again, go away. He did that because when he told them that the little girl was dead and that she was just sleeping, they laughed at him. He recognised their attitude of unbelief. He recognised their attitude of, this guy must be crazy. And so Jesus made them leave. He removed the lack of faith that was in the crowd so that it wouldn't limit his ability to work. Making them leave removed all unbelief. It removed all poor attitude that could get in the way 
of God doing his thing. So let's not be like that crowd who got in the way or got sent away. I don't know about you, but I want to be there to see the miracle. Let's not limit God. No limitations. Let's have faith, big faith, that God can and will and is doing amazing things in this place. Let's not restrict and limit God by our attitude or by our sense of familiarity. Let's not think God can't use me or God can't use that person, surely. Well, that looks too hard. Well, that looks too scary. Well, that's too unbelievable. But let's give God the freedom to move, to work in all of us, in all situations, and have big faith in Him. No limitations on what God can do. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you again for who you are this morning, Lord. I thank you that you are our creator. God, that you are the God who led the Israelites through the desert to the promised land. That you separated those waters of the Red Sea. That you, in, you destroyed an entire nation's army beneath the waves. God, that, that you deliver victory after victory. After those Israelites entered the promised land, God, I... I thank you that you were faithful all the way through the Old Testament. I thank you that you were faithful all the way through the New Testament and I thank you that you are faithful now, God. Faithful through the promise of sending your son, Jesus, to be the one to save us from our sin. To offer him as a gift of eternal life so that we can be part of your family, God. God, I just pray that you would continue to perform miracles in this place. Even this morning, God, I pray that your spirit would come and bring healing to those that need it. God, I pray that if we are limiting you in any way with our attitude or with familiarity or with fear or with lack of faith, God, I pray that you would remove that from our hearts and minds so that you can work. God, I pray that you would be able to work freely in this place and in us. God, I pray for your protection over Neil and Job and their family. God, I pray for your protection over all of the different ministries that we have here at Cornerstone. God, I pray for your protection over everyone here this morning. God, I thank you for your protection last weekend in the storm. God, I pray that you would give us the ability to stand firm in you, regardless of what's going on around us, and to move forward with our eyes fixed on you. And God, I pray that we would allow you to work through and in us. Amen.